but Chapel Bell Curve, since they've been on the scene, has been my favorite. Hey, did you hear that, Will Leach? Did you, <laughs> did you hear that? All right, go on. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today we're going to talk about Mizzou. Oh, Mizzou. Oh, the, the state of misery. You know, we're going to run our normal sort of uh, review episode format. And I think what that means, first off, is we're going to talk about our experience on, this, on the day. Yeah. So, give it to me, Justin. Give me that, that sweet, hot... That sweet narrative. That, that, that sweet, hot, subjective narrative take. So last episode, I talked about how I was going to go and scalp a ticket and go to the game and all. Um, but Anna was out of town, my fiance. And so uh, my friend Ben and I decided we were going to stay home. And we ate. We, made, we did the most disgusting bachelor thing I think we could possibly do. We went to the Taco Bell and we got, I keep calling it a sack full because it's 12 uh, crystal burgers to me. But we got a sack full of tacos. And sat on my couch and drank uh, beer and watched the game and had a wonderful time. That and, sounds uh, pretty awesome. It was pretty great, <laughs> uh, but it was really it was still really awesome. Beside all that, like everything, was, it was a fun game to watch. It was very exciting. It was the first time that I felt like um, we were getting you and I. Uh, when I say we, we're getting kind of okay at this thing. We're we're kind of pretty good at. Uh, yeah. Reading the crystal ball, so to speak, because yeah. everything we felt like was going I felt to happen. Like we, we hit the right notes on the preview podcast. Yeah, for sure. I don't mean to, to toot my own horn or pat oh, myself in the back. I'm, I'm, taking, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking an hour long victory lap. Absolutely. No, it was it was weird. It was weird watching all of the the bad things we said were going to happen happen. Over and unders weren't necessarily correct, but uh, oh, they but were pretty close. I got to actually look at those. I don't remember what mine were at this point, other than the sacks. I, 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 wanted to I see had some us sacks. at forty two seventeen. Okay, which is. Um, you know, a little a little bit wrong in both directions, but yeah. ten points off, but the margin's pretty close. That's right. I had forty two fourteen. You had forty two fourteen, yeah. Yeah. So not not so bad. Um, not too crazy. Yeah. How was your what was the what was it like watching it on TV? It was okay. It was it was good. Why well, I, I did say that um that was the first time I could actually see Light Up Sanford because they, they made a point on the broadcast to actually watch the whole thing and to, to kind of show the stadium, which was really cool. And usually you can't really you can't I doubt you can hold like kind of take it all in on tv uh the same way you could in the stadium uh i imagine it's it's much more moving and much more something to behold when you're actually in sanford watching the whole thing happen so well uh, yeah but i mean it's still pretty awesome right? it's still it was really cool to see the whole yeah. thing because i knew it was happening and um another night game let me know you know yeah i mean cool. I, that's i think that's a pretty good transition uh, you got anything else? Because I'm I'm about to talk a lot. I know you're about to go in. No, I, that was pretty much it. I had a really good time just watching the game with Ben. Um, yeah, tell me what what happened with you. Well, um, first I want to say publicly again that um, Light Up Sanford is awesome and it's the best new tradition in college football, and it is a Redcoat Band original. Um, Light Up Sanford was a social media campaign, or started as a social media campaign on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and it was run by Kenneth Hubbard and Grace Ann Sepp, Seep, um, who are two former Redcoat trumpets. Actually, Grace Ann is still in the Redcoats right now. Uh, and they basically took it from an idea that they came up with after practice one time um, all the way through what it is today, this like nationally recognized thing. And that's actually a pretty good transition into what I want to talk about because also... A really cool thing happened to you. 
Yeah, a lot of really cool things happened. Yeah, um, we did the alumni band, and I said I I talked about this a little bit in my um, initial impressions, but I am with or I work with the Redcoat Band Alumni Association, and just a great group of very very supportive alumni who are very awesome and just incredibly um, generous and gracious with both their time and donations to the Redcoats, and they kind of keep the Redcoats afloat in a lot of ways. Um, and so it was awesome to see a bunch of alumni back. We had a really good alumni practice. The alumni do a pregame show after about two hours of practice, which is really impressive. And, um, we also had an engagement in the middle of that practice. That's really cool. A current, a, 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 like, I guess, recent alumni who just recently graduated asked one of the other sousaphones who is still currently an alumni to marry him. And she said yes, and it was very sweet. That's very cool. And it was right. They were doing the pregame. They were practicing pregame, and they did a run-through, and they were in, like, the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And the current band always pretends they're the team and runs through the tunnel. <laughs> and so he came out there in the middle of the tunnel sequence and knelt down right as they were about to run out. And everybody was playing Glory, and it was it was very emotional. That's perfect. Um, Yeah, so that part was awesome. Then I – let's see. Oh, yeah. So this the a very cool thing happened to me. Um, I got to meet, I got to meet two people that I want to talk about who were both awesome. I met David Segrew, who is also known as Gru online. He runs, um, dogs online, the Twitter account and the website. And it's a very sort of venerable, um, one of the first big UGA blogs and they're very cool. And he's a very cool guy and kind of actually, uh, he, I didn't know who he was. He singled me out and was like, Hey, are you Nathan? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm dogs online. And I was like, oh, hey, what's up, man? And uh, another, uh, he was a former Redcoat trumpet, I think. Um, and then I also got to meet Marion English. Um, so I do, I escort the Battle Hymn soloist up to the Battle Hymn site every day or every game for pregame. And that's sort of like I get them up there and I help the mic, I help them get the mic set up and I just basically make sure they don't get harassed. Um, and I got to escort up Marion English, who was the first ever Battle Hymn soloist. That's really cool. Yeah, he's really awesome. Um, last week was the 30th anniversary of the Battle Hymn solo, and he told me the story of like how they came up with it. And basically, we think of the Battle Hymn as this awesome, crazy, like venerable pregame tradition, but uh, it was it was something that they came up with in the late 80s because they were f- trying to figure out like just something to play that sounded like Glory. And basically, at, when they were undergrads, these two guys just sat there in the School of Music one night and just sort of picked the whole thing out. And he looks to his buddy who is arranging it for him, uh, Marion does, and he says, like, hey, put a solo in there for me. <laughs> as so, any trumpet says. Yeah, as, as any trumpet would. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, like, that's his solo. Yeah. Like, specifically for him, that solo was written for him. And it's crazy because doing working with the Battle Hymn solos is always awesome because it's like a lifelong dream of many of them. And, you know, usually their family's there and usually they're, you know, there's a lot of people taking pictures and everyone's very emotional and it's always very awesome. But it was a real treat this time because it's just when Marion English plays the Battle Hymn solo, it is just the best Battle Hymn solo. It is the canonical Battle Hymn solo. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. And I can't say enough about how nice and gracious he was to just talk to me for a minute and let me take a picture of him on Instagram. And yeah, I saw that uh, kind of pimp him out to everywhere and Facebook friend him. So um, that was a really cool experience. That was Uh, really cool. As for the game, you know, my biggest thing in the game, and I don't know if you can comment to this, that kind of struck me was, you know, even when, we were, when they were kind of matching us blow for blow, mm-hmm. I was never really worried. I was never, yeah, I was I was never super impressed. I was more disappointed by us, and I was never worried in the sense that I thought they were going to take it away I from always us. thought we were going to win. Yeah, I, I never felt like we weren't going to win. I, I just mean, wanted to figure out how. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought when they tied it 21-21, 
I thought it's very likely that we will we'll get a stop. And I thought it was it's very much it was very much kind of like a Twitter thing or a Twitter what what the crap am I saying? Very much like a tennis thing where I felt like if we broke serve on them, we mm. were just going back and forth and back and forth. And I felt like if we ever broke serve and we got served back and got two serves in a row, basically, that fine. we were going to be fine. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, as soon as Dom Sanders pulled in that touchdown or pulled in that interception, even though we only got three points off of it, Their I kind of felt gone. like... Totally gone. Yeah. Well, I kind of felt like they were going to have a hard time coming back from us because yeah. they just weren't going to be able to stop us. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was... I, it, you know, at that point, I was like, well, it still might be close, but now I'm sure we're going to win because... I don't see them getting a defensive stop, mm-hmm. which they didn't like, no. all night. But yeah, that, I mean, I guess that's about it for subjective. You got anything else? I was actually going to bring up at the Taco Bell this weekend. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, this I, is going to be the most wholesome version of any any story that's ever started that way. Oh, absolutely. And I, I really hate to, to bring this up after everything that you just shared that was so beautiful and perfect and elegant. But there's this new thing at Taco Bell. This is completely unrelated to anything we do. Um, this new thing at Taco Bell called the the Naked Egg Burrito. It's a oh. breakfast burrito. Oh, I th- I saw that it was a taco, but I didn't it's know a, it It's a taco. I think they call it a taco still. It's a breakfast taco. Okay. Its shell is an egg, and they've loaded up with, like, potatoes and cheese and whatever else you want in it. And, and they've been talking about how, like, innovative and crazy this thing is and how neat it is. And, like, man, we're really thinking out of the box. That's the whole Taco Bell thing. But, mm-hmm. Nathan, it's just an omelet. <laughs> That really? taco is an omelet. <laughs> it's just an omelet turned up like a taco. You're just eating your omelet with your hands. <laughs> really? Yes. I know. That never occurred to me. <laughs> I was sitting there looking at the sign. And I was like, wait a minute. I've seen this before. Of course I have. At any breakfast restaurant where I've eaten an omelet So they just before. put a piece of cardboard on an omelet. Yeah. And call it a it's day. an omelet. It's a taco now. I mean, you know, and honestly, though, I kind of respect it. I li- yeah, I like it, too, for what they're, they're trying to convince people they've done, which they have done nothing. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, unique. other taco-shaped things that they could turn into, like... They just buy the St. Louis Arch and they're just like, <laughs> it's uh, the it, it's, Missouri taco. <laughs> yeah. It's the, speaking of Missouri. It's the, it's the world. The world is our taco now. <laughs> <laughs> Truly thinking outside of the box. Anyway, that was, uh, that, that was one thing that happened to me. Completely unrated the game, but, um, still happened to me. Um, so let's talk about some stats. Let's get really into the, the whole nitty gritty. Let's get into the, let's get into the stats of it. So, um, I'm going to run down a bunch of, I'm going to just pull up the, advanced stat screenshot here and i've got a couple of these tagged that i do want to talk about but uh you know i'm just going to run down some stats and you tell me how you you tell me any any you see that are interesting to you yep, yep, yep okay so let's see so uga to start out with their percentile performance um 90th on offense 41 41 percent on defense yeah um just that resigned yeah tone um, going through sort of the advanced box store, 29% of the uh, plays were in garbage time. So still kind of a blowout when expected see 94% for Georgia. So by that, by that kind of, um, standard, a blowout. One of the things I noticed was plays, just plays ran Georgia 81, yeah, uh, holy cow. Missouri 49. We the controlled the ball a- for 40 minutes. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. The national average of plays, by the way, is 72. Uh-huh. Um, so we were right above the average, and they just didn't get any um, yards. Two eighty-seven uh, for them, 650, 654 for us. Four scoring opportunities for them, eleven scoring opportunities for us, mm-hmm. which is staggering. Couple other things: success rate by quarter. Missouri success rate by quarter going through thirty-six percent, twenty percent, twenty-nine percent, sixty-four percent. Georgia's success rate by quarter: forty-five percent, fifty-two percent, forty-four percent, thirty-eight percent. 
Uh, for the game, that's 37% success rate for Missouri and 45 for Georgia. Success rate is basically based on 50% of the yards left to gain. So it's easier to get success rate on second and short, etc. Because like if you get 50% of the required yardage on first down, which is five, then six set five yards. So success on second down would be two and a half yards. And then success on third down mm-hmm. would be like whatever one point, whatever is half of two and a half, 1.75. Anyway, so that's like a very good success rate for UGA. And aside from the one sort of blip there in quarter one, not very good for uh, Missouri, which is, I think, nice. It was a real hard time for them. Yeah. I mean, if you, and if you look at their rushing success rate, 21% rushing success rate, only 29% passing success rate Mm -hmm. uh by like if you look across the whole thing they're they were most successful on passing downs or at passing basically at 29 percent, which is still well under the average yeah but that's still well under the average of 40 40%, percent yeah Yeah. um that kind of leads me into like the first thing i want to talk about with this game is that you know missouri definitely relied on being explosive when you get two 63 yard touchdowns to the same guy on pretty close to the same play yeah that's Um, pretty much the same play you're gonna you and other than that you only have what so that that was 126 of their 287 yards yep so that was almost half of their yards on the day you know in the past we've always said that georgia was better at being they were better at controlling um they were better at being efficient as a defense than they were at being um explosive and controlling explosive plays which i mean that stands up it's funny though after this they're um they're uh if you look at their S&P ranks or whatever for explosiveness and efficiency, they're still mm-hmm. super high. Yeah. So, like, efficiency still ranked fourth. Explosiveness has plummeted all the way down to 13. <laughs> A low, low 13. Yeah. Um, that's kind of why I'm not super concerned because for our – for just in the most holistic sense, if we just ignore any, like, specific anal- um, analysis of what's going on in this specific game and in terms of the matchups and blown coverages, et cetera, um, just from a numerical standpoint – uh, any team that's gonna any team that's gonna win on explosiveness is gonna have to be slightly more consistent at being explosive than they were, right? They had they hit three deep shots and that's yeah. twenty one points. Mm-hmm. If they just don't hit one of those, this is a very different game. It wasn't a particularly close close game to begin with, but if they don't hit one of those, the total tenor of the game is very different. It's and very so different. that I, I guess my overall message is that um, there's some things to be concerned about, but I don't think anyone should panic here. Yeah, there there's definitely some tape now that shows how to beat us but it's nothing that we didn't already predict and if we're sitting in my office predicting these things then you can definitely bet that there are coaches and players if two dudes who have never coached and haven't and i haven't played since eighth grade can figure out that you can beat or you can you should try to beat uga deep because that's the only place that you can beat them Mm -hmm. then other coaches are going to figure that out yeah and missouri did it and and that's totally fine i Um, mean but they weren't they weren't efficient and you know I guess what I would say is, you know, when you think about their explosive, like they had three explosive plays out of what, um, how many plays did they run? 40 something? 49? Yeah. So that's not actually a very high percentage. And it's not like they weren't going for explosive plays other than that. There was some kind of befuddling play calling, but still. It's, yeah, it wasn't consistent enough to where you you can't call what it was lucky. It was definitely intentional what they did. And the plays called were definitely intentional, but. Yeah. But they just couldn't do it they enough. Could, yeah, they couldn't yeah. do it enough. A couple of other stats I want to point out that I really liked were um, opportunity rate, 29%. Only 29% of their carries went for more than five yards. Highlight yards per opportunity, 2.26 yards, which meant that like when they got an explosive yard or an explosive play, it went for about seven and a half yards on the ground, mm-hmm. uh, which is really nice. 
Um, anything else you're seeing on the Missouri side? Uh, I was kind of trying to do the math real quick in my head, just talking about, we were talking about momentum, and if they if they had more plays won, they would have had more chances for explosiveness. Uh, right. Even if we were to split that margin between their plays and our plays in half, right. I still don't think they, they would have gotten more chances, but three out of 50 really doesn't, you know, you're going to get maybe one more chance with those. Well, those and numbers. that, well, that's the whole thing. It's like, if you assume worst case scenario, you figure they hit one more of those explosive plays, right? Yeah. They're going to so get one more touchdown. The, you're in the third quarter and you're sitting at like 38 to 35 or something instead yeah. of, you know, so that's kind of a little concerning, obviously, if they hit one more, but you know, they didn't. And, and, and the yeah. other thing to consider is it very well could be this is the best passing offense we face for the rest of the year. There's a good chance. Yeah, I mean, Auburn's I mean, looking less and less like the I, Auburn that we we kind of perceived at the beginning. I, I think of the year. Auburn can be this pass, passing defense, but they seem to be pretty banged up. Kyle mm-hmm. Davis, one of their big receivers, is not apparently not on the team anymore. <laughs> um, so I'm not. Uh, I don't know. It's hard for me to say that. Like I, I'm not worried. It's not that I'm not worried going forward. It's just that this game doesn't really change anything about what I think about our potential. I think my biggest takeaway, and I'm about to go into this in our stats. My biggest takeaway from our side is that. I, I think that the 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 ceiling. I, I pretty much knew what the ceiling of this team was. I still think the ceiling of this team is a, is a playoff contender. Mm. But now I think that the acceptable floor is much higher because this is the kind of game where Georgia teams in the past, and actually just a lot of teams nationally, have lost this kind of game. Yeah, which we saw this weekend. And so I was very impressed at the fact that Georgia was very calm and they just adjusted well. And that brings me to the first stat I want to point out. If you look at S and P S and P plus by quarter. So first quarter, 17th ranked uh, or 17th ranked off um, S&P plus uh, offensively, first ranked defensively. This is for the whole year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Third quarter, 27th ranked offensively, second defensively. Mm -hmm. So what that tells me is that we are game planning very well and we are adjusting after um, halftime very well as well. It definitely shows. yeah. Yeah. We have yet to give up a, we have yet to give up a touchdown in the third quarter, I think. I think that's right. Um, And I also think that, you know, that is ev- that is evidence that this sort of Alabama method of just outplanning everyone and outplanning your your adjustments is really working for us. And I mm-hmm. and I think it showed that game where you know we came back out after that and we just shut down the long run and or the long pass and they really couldn't do. We we came out after halftime and shut it down and they really couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. Um. I also thought that, and this is just like sort of my pet my pet fetish stat that three point three line yards per carry. Well above the national average mm-hmm. this game of two point nine three. Yeah, that's super sexy. And then that's you see good. that you see that top one. What's that top top one say there? Buddy? That's power success rate one hundred percent. Yes, yes. And I don't think we had a lot of power success opportunities, but by God, we got all of them. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's a another hundred percent rating actually. Um, I think it's still true. Not, I'm not messing around, but we have not gone to the red zone where we haven't scored yet this year. Yep. Yep. Seven yep. games yep. in, we are hundred percent for every red zone trip for points. Yep. Which I think is pretty damn cool. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. And even if, even if you took if you take uh, finishing drives mm-hmm. right now, which is uh, Connolly stat, which is a little bit more um, a little bit more stringent because it's points and points in per trip 40. inside the forty. Yeah. We're still at five point three nine per seven, which means like we're getting more than a field. We're getting we're getting we're getting more than a field goal every well, time it, we go to the red zone to, on average. Yeah, well, and actually, more specifically, what it means I think is that we are getting. Uh, we are getting a touchdown about half as many times more as we are a field goal when we go in. Yeah. Which is pretty freaking awesome. So, yeah, very efficient. And now uh, the number seventh ranked explosive offense in the nation. Um, 
UGA, not, you would think that that would be Missouri, but nope, that's actually UGA. I mean, before we go into sort of like what our takeaways from this game are, I had one, The I mean, the only other thing I really like that kind of blew my mind on this game was, this is another one of those games, and I guess we've said this before, but I just, I had one of these moments of, um, as I was looking over all these stats and I was watching the replay, and one of my biggest, I guess this can be my first takeaway, is that this is just a team that beats teams that should. Mm-hmm. And when was the last time that we had a UGA team that would just beat teams that it objectively should consistently? Like, this is a team, this is the, by S&P Plus, the second worst team that we've played this year. And this is a team that we should be beating by at least 25 points, even on a sloppy night. And that's what we did. We did that. Yeah. But it was still messy. I mean, I can't think of the last team where I didn't feel like there was always some kind of chance where we were going to screw something up. Mm-hmm. Even at the beginning of this year, I remember sitting with you on the couch watching games and being like, well, how are we going to screw this up now? We're this far ahead. How are we going to lose now? <laughs> like, what are we going to uh, mm-hmm. do to mess this up? But no, I haven't felt that way about this team. Do you want to do you want another um, pretty sexy stat in oh, yeah. that vein? So if we look at win probabilities for the rest of the year, Ooh, 68, I do like this. 68% chance of finishing 11 and one or better by the S&P plus model. And if you, if you drop that down to 10 and two, it gets you up to 93%. I'm into that. That is sexy. That's real sexy. I, I feel like uh, I, every time I look at these stats, I'm like in oceans 11 when the old guy is looking at all the money in the vault and he's like, <laughs> that's the sexiest thing I've ever seen in my life. In some ways, this is, it was a little bit less boring, um, than it should have been, but this was kind of a boring game. But there are a couple of stri- uh, strategic notes that I want to point out, mm-hmm. specifically about the um, long touchdowns. So what did you think, watching those big three big touchdowns, because you got to watch it on TV and I did yeah. not, what was, your, what was your takeaway from those three? The the Missouri touchdowns? Yeah, the three Missouri touchdowns, the, the three long pass plays. Uh, it just kind of showed, it just kind of stunk. Like our corners are small is the biggest thing. They're short. It sucks to see your guy get burnt that hard. Because yeah. there was plenty of separation, and it was just an easy toss down the field for Drew Locke. Yep. Yep. And there was no question the moment it left his hands both times, back-to-back even, that that was going to be a touchdown. Yeah. So, that did suck. That's probably the most anxious I've been all year uh, in those moments. When they got to 21-21. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I agree. And it, it, it was it was a blown coverage. And I, and I do think, the only thing I would take away different, well, not different, but the only thing I would add to that is that Looking back and trying to get all 22s, which I got all 22s of one of them, mm-hmm. and then looking at the other two when they showed the replay, um, it did look like that those were blown schematic coverages as opposed yeah. to being like physical It wasn't breakdowns. necessarily a mismatch. It was that yeah, we were yeah. playing them under when we should have been playing yeah. on the top. Yeah, and I don't, um, I'm not quite sure what this was, but I, I'm fairly certain that it was either a breakdown in, they were either in pattern match or they were in true zone. And mm-hmm. I think actually on the first touchdown play, they were in pattern match because what it looked like was... On the first touchdown play, Aaron Davis thought he was handing the wide receiver off to J.R. Reed. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that is because he actually hitched at about 20 yards down the field. And he looked as though he were playing an under zone to try to catch the... There was another... There was a there was a tight end running down the seam. And then the wide receiver that Aaron Davis had was running like a post or a flag. Uh-huh. And it looked to me like that the... That Aaron Davis had cut under because he thought he was supposed to take the... He was supposed to take the deep... Um, the deep in cut out, um, out from under the seam tight end. Mm-hmm. So, and then at the same time, J.R. Reed also tried to take that route. And so the guy just ended up running by them. And it was, it's one of those things where the speed of this, the speed of like what was happening was such that they were one step off. And then that turned into six steps real fast. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, 
I'm not super worried about it because we did adapt. We adapted even the second time through. Didn't work. Yeah, we the went into one. two high safety after that. We were yeah. we were in single high safety. Um, and after the the second one, the second long touchdown was um, Aaron. It was like they were in. It looked like deep cover three with single high, and like Dominic Sanders just rotated way too late. And then after that, they went to two high, and um, that was way way better. It looked like that, uh, well, like the too high safety look was what got Dominic Sanders the interception. He was able to just kind of ball hog back there and play center field, which is what he's very good at. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of why I'm not so, con- I mean, that's why I'm not so concerned is just because we're hitting this bye week at the right time. Mm. And honestly, like, I know Kirby's not happy about what happened, but I do kind of feel like he's like. Um, he's got his work cut out for him. Yeah, which he's, is well, he has stuff to talk about. Yeah. You know what I mean? He has stuff to, to say, like. He has stuff to focus on. Whereas I think if we just beat this team 53 to nothing, he would be worried about them being too confident going yeah. into the Florida game, which I don't think, I definitely don't think he is. No. And he, this gives us opportunities just to work on certain things, very specific drills and to drill and drill and drill. Yeah. And to just get back, get back to where we were before this game. Cause mm-hmm. I, I do think, I think you spoke about it a little bit in the last episode or somewhere in one of your, your blog posts that uh, this will keep us, this will bring us back to a nice level of humility. Mm-hmm. Like an acceptable level of totally humility, which is good. Uh, we're going to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, so to speak. The bye week also couldn't have come at a better time because we did have some injuries in this game, I know. Yeah. Terry Godwin. I don't little, know what happened to Terry Godwin. Yeah, I think he had a rib injury. A little concerned about um, Tyler Clark went down. And then also, you know, we're still missing Trenton Thompson. Mm-hmm. We still, we're still missing Reggie Carter, I guess, with a perc- uh, concussion. So. Yeah. We're, we're hitting this at the right time. So um, I we kind of have just sort of bled over into takeaways here. Uh-huh. Um, but have you got anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, the last thing, I guess, I, I'd like to mention Jake Fromm. Uh, we did talk about in our, our preview of this, uh, this game that we wanted to see a more confident Jake Fromm, a player that looks like we were winning games because of this player and somebody that was, you know, very handily controlling the game. And I think Jake Fromm definitely showed that. Uh, 18 for 26, 326. He did throw an interception, but it is what it is, you know? But he, he never at any point seemed too frazzled. Yeah. He seemed like it was always under control and that he was in charge and he was leading that charge. Yep. And, and even, uh, I, I mean, like you know, the well, I have a takeaway on From too, but the first thing I do want to note is that, you know, even that one, the the, the pick was bad. He just stared down Nada and then he threw behind yeah. Nada. He stared down Nada, which made the linebacker move. But I think mm-hmm. if he'd thrown a little bit more accurate of ball, it might have just been incomplete. Yeah. Um, but then he threw behind him on top of that. So, like, you know, that is, that's going to happen. We're, he's going to throw more picks this year. And mm. I think that he hasn't really shown anything that says that we need to be too concerned about an interception problem, quote mm-hmm. unquote. My biggest takeaway from him is, like, I just, you know, I've been, I've been very quick to pump the brakes on the Jake Fromm hype. But this is just his team. Yeah. Man. This is just, I think that he's definitely the one. He's the quarterback now, yeah. and that's definitely how it feels. We've been talking about it this whole time, and we we love Jacob Eason, which we've yes. talked about plenty. Yes. Uh, but we also like Jake Fromm, and I think that he's the piece that needs to fit in this puzzle right now. Yeah. Also, I did not see that interception because I got I sat down and started watching the game after the interception. So ah, that you, would be you, why that's not part of my... You didn't see the bad my, stuff. You didn't see the bad stuff at yeah, all. I didn't see any of the bad stuff. Um, my last takeaway is that... Or it's I kind of have two, but they kind of fall into the same thing, which is that A... UGA is now a playoff contender. Oh yeah, and I don't think I can. I, I try to. I try to soft pedal that as as much as I can, and I try to just downplay expectations and you know try to be results oriented and take it game by game. But we, if we win next time, if, if we, if especially once we beat, if we beat Florida, I think we're gonna have to really acknowledge that we we have a chance to get into the college football playoff. Second, 
what comes with that is that we are going to start being under more and more and more and more pressure. Mm. The pressure is going to start mounting on us as a fan base and also on this team in general. And I, and I'm very interested to see going forward. I mean, this is kind of uncharted test territory, honestly, mm. the last time that UGA was in conversation to be, you know, in the national championship or BCS hunt was 2012. And the last time before that was 2000, um, 2007. And both of those years, UGA was on the outside looking in. Yeah. And basically because of early losses, didn't control its own destiny this year. UGA controls its own destiny. You went out, you're going to the national championship. Oh, 100%. The rest of our season is, is not nearly as difficult as the final challenge to get to the national championship. Oh, yeah. Which Playing will be Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. yeah. And every, nobody thinks that we're going to be able to beat Alabama. We have a, a low chance, according to just about I hate I hate to tell there. you this, but I also probably don't think we're going to beat Alabama. I know Alabama. you do. I know. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. They well, we can talk about that some other time. We can even talk about that during our bye week because we have a long bye week between now and the Florida game. I think personally, we have a better chance of beating Alabama than people think. I don't think our offense is nearly as powerful as it needs to be. But um, yeah, I can see that in their quarterback that controls that offense, we have a bit. We have more tools that'll be able to handle him a bit more than a traditional pocket passer. Yeah. But we'll talk about that some other time. Well, hey, you know, one, one thing I do want to mention, kind of riffing off of that, is that yeah. um, I, I really think after this Missouri game that we we would, offensively, I think we are better than I thought we were. Yes. That's what I will say. I don't think we're, we're quite Alabama good yet, but I think we're way better than we thought we were. And, you know, that's, that's actually pretty good. I'm okay with that thing. Yeah. I'm okay with being better than we thought we were. You want to talk about iTunes? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about iTunes. Let's talk about some reviews. So we have, we, we learned recently, and this is kind of funny, that you can't see all of your reviews if you do not have an iTunes uh, subscription. Not well, subscription, no, no, hold but on. if account. you don't have the iTunes app installed. Yeah, you need the iTunes app to see everything. Because both of us are Android Android users. I hate to admit this. We I have welcomed Google into our lives. Yeah, 100%. All hail. All hail. Um, <laughs> but we have 21 reviews. Yeah, so we're going to read, I guess, all of them. We don't have to read all of them. We can we'll, we'll, we'll read a little bit and then we'll have more to read later. Let's start the fir- at the first page up here at the top. The uh, do you want to start at? Oh man, you know what? We should probably start at the earliest one because yeah. we missed we've missed we've a missed lot. a bunch. So we got one from an ML Watson. Oh, I know who that is. He used to be in Redcoats. Oh, very cool. Uh, and it's titled "Really Good Podcast." Five stars. Really solid UGA podcast. They're coming at you with stats and numbers that I'd never heard of before. But they break it down in a really great way that makes it understandable and really made this first game all that much more enjoyable to watch. Whoops, way behind on this. <laughs> way behind. <laughs> they acknowledge their respective perspectives on the game, which is also a fun thing to say, uh, and on college football in general, and that helps put it in an even better context. The guys are intelligent and have a really good banter going on, which makes it really enjoyable to listen to. Aw. Thanks. <laughs> this next user is called Chubtown USA, uh, which is a city I never want to visit. Um, (laughs) this one's titled perfect pair oh that's us finally a podcast that pairs two of my favorite things justin and nathan no just kidding that's not what it says highbrow language that makes me feel smarter than i am in uga football keep it up guys and don't forget to have fun five stars i'm gonna take these next three because the fourth one up you need um (laughs) this is from hip-hop is alive all caps keep it up guys very enjoyable podcast five stars that's hip-hop is alive that that is very true uh, from N Bowers thirty four, very refreshing. I really enjoy this podcast. I barely escaped business uh, two hundred four with a D, but for some reason I crave the pre and post game stats these guys provide. A unique approach to an SEC football podcast, and it works. If you're a UGA football fan, do yourself a favor and subscribe. Then we got Clark Ryan nine, Clark Ryan nine, who is Justin's soon to be brother in law, yeah. and, and full disclosure, like 
absolutely the the biggest Chapel Bell Curve supporter. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty uh, sure he is. Um, this podcast is one of the few where I don't allow myself to miss any episodes. The content really fits with my football fan and huge nerd personality. That's true. It's the only <laughs> podcast that does what it does. That's also true. Thank you, Ryan. If you want to impress your friends with deep stats about Georgia football, there isn't anywhere else to go. This podcast has a clear vision and it executes at a high level. Butch Jones is as useless as an ejector seat on a helicopter. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Not sure about that last sentence. That's true, but I don't know where that really that came from. All right, then. Uh, oh, this is nice. This one's titled Awesome by AC Sims. I have no idea who that is. Love it's... this podcast. Informative and accessible. Great podcast for any UGA fan. That's that's from his fiance. That's my fiance. All right. Uh, we got one from Creamy Chris. I knew this. I actually also knew who this is. Uh, this is one of the snare drummers for UGA. Uh, pump those stats into my veins. Love it. In depth, the stats and pretty funny to boot. Keep up the good work, y'all. Just just like him to be pretty gross. Creamy Chris. Uh, the next one's spectacular UGA football podcast by REI Photography. These podcasts are great, especially if you love UGA football. If you don't love UGA football, then you should not be listening to podcasts and should be spending your time reevaluating your life decisions. I love the statistical foundation of the broadcast. It is very unique and leaves you wanting to hear more. Great job, guys. All right. Redcoat Football Class of 012. I actually don't know who this is, but I'm sure I know them. Mm -hmm. Um, Great on-air dynamic from two smart but self-deprecating football fans. Love you guys and the work you're doing. Shout out to your web guy, too. Huh. Is that Ian? I know. (laughs) Is it our web guy? Ian never played football with the Redcoats. Anyway. uh, Ring the Bell, which is by... This is by Quet. Quet. The new Chapel Bell Curve podcast is quickly timed by... Climb to the top of my list of uh, football podcast rotation, even jumping ahead of college football stats guy Bill Collin. Ooh, oh man, that's bold. I'm getting the vapors. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Anyway, I gotta unbutton my shirt for this one. Oh yeah, love the stats focused take and enthusiasm for all things Georgia football, including the Red Coat Band. You're damn right. Looking forward to getting my Georgia stats fixed for the rest of the season and future seasons via Chapel Burl Curve podcast. Go Docs. Yeah. What else do we got? We got one from Sad UGA fan. Amazing show. I've been waiting a long time for a podcast like this. If you enjoy taking an in-depth look into sports statistics, you will thoroughly enjoy this show. Keep up the great work, you guys. Go dogs! Oh, yeah. Hold on. What what I was going to say is um, we're in the middle of hate Fortnite where we're going to hate on Florida. So if you get on Anchor or on Twitter or on Instagram or probably on the two podcasts next week, you're going to hear a lot of hate. So Uh, the next one's titled CSI UGA Football Crime Scenes. I really like the comparison. This one's by Clint Rowland. At the behest of Kit, I gave it a listen. Like listening to two guys in lab coats go over the numbers and dissecting exactly what is going on. Makes me a smarter fan and I can impress all my friends at the bar. 7-5, I subscribe for life. Banshee. I don't, I, that one I don't get. I don't know, yeah. Well, I, I like, like it. it. Trotsky, 1980, 1918, the Grail Curve. Alright, now we're getting reviews from historical figures and I love that. Thank you, Trotsky, and um, I hope that your <laughs> impending revolution goes well. Um, you have chosen wisely. Wonderful weekend updates, stats, and speculations sprinkled with helpful hints of nerdery and grounded in a healthy dose of realism that keeps you coming back for more. I think you might be the realistic side of things typically sometimes. Yeah. Well, Just a little fine. bit. I don't know. Right, we're so close. Let's get, let's get through these last four. Yeah. I want to do the last one. So you do these next two. Okay. Awesome podcast. A must for numbers people. This is from Duluth Dog. For numbers junkies, this is a place to be. Stats you've never thought of, comparisons to means, comparisons to our rivals, and infusing a touch of humor. This podcast quickly became a favorite. Great work. Keep it up. I'll keep sharing the name. Thank, Thank you. you, Duluth Dog. That's really nice. Yeah. Love this show by Blue Brody 7 I am fond of the UGA podcast, whether it's Dog Nation for recruiting, waiting since last Saturday for a national perspective, yeah, or Dogcast for a homer take. But Chapel Bell Curve, since they've been on the scene, has been my favorite. Hey, did you hear that, Will Leach? Did you, <laughs> did you hear that? 
All right, go on. <laughs> it's a really smart take by two guys who know what they're talking about, and I appreciate the deeper dive y'all take into UGA football. I follow Bill C's work pretty well, but to be honest, I'm not a big fan of PAPN, which is... It's, yeah, uh, Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. That's right, okay. Bill I've C's never actually podcast. seen that acronym either. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Okay, I've, I've heard the podcast. Uh, however, the variations y'all introduce on that format and content, I'm a big fan of, and CBC might be my favorite UGA podcast at this point. Love your work and keep it up. Go dogs. Um, okay, I'm going to read the last two. Good stuff by Harrison R. Lanier. Lanier? Sorry, Lanier. What am I saying? I live in Georgia. <laughs> Harrison R. Lanier. Let's start it over. Good stuff. Five stars. Really enjoy this. Best UGA podcast I've heard. Good job. Good job writing that, Harrison, and bad job on me for reading comprehension by someone who has two English degrees. Um, finally, see the numbers. This is my favorite one because this is just like a really solid simile uh, by J.K. Rick. Uh, I feel like these guys are like Neo at the end of the Matrix. They look at all these numbers and visualize the upcoming game. Which just makes me feel, like, way better about myself. Oh, yeah. The best part is they share this vision away someone with a deep math background can, without a deep math background, can understand. Hey, hot tip, uh, JK Rick, but we don't have deep math backgrounds. We don't know nothing about math. I started listening before the mistake game, and I haven't missed an episode since. This must be how it feels for people that have uh, have to call a psychic before making big decisions. (laughs) While they stay neutral while talking about the numbers, they let their fandom come through at other times. Love the insight on the Redcoats, the music they play. Please keep the episodes coming. We will. Nice. So, yeah, that was October 11th. I think that was the last one. That right? was the last one, yeah. We've got all of them. I'm right. sorry to, to send you guys through all that. But well, we got we got, we wanna, got our deluge going now. Yeah, we want to honor you guys by uh, also, saying a little something about it. You, JC Rick, uh, you also got more uh, Red Code Insight today. Yeah, so um, I just want to say, you know, before we get into the outro here, uh, when we kind of when we started this, I, I, I can't speak for Justin, but my vision for what this was going to be was not um, something that people actually listen to. And, you know, the kind of the growth that we've seen over the first what this will be our 16th episode yeah uh has been far above my wildest imaginings of what it could be um and i cannot i cannot thank everyone enough and just um you know i'm never going to do this for a living but this is a very incredibly self-affirming experience for you for me and i think for justin as well so absolutely thanks a lot yeah this has been the the best podcast that i've had the pleasure of working on and producing and so um Thank you guys for giving me a reason to want to produce it and edit it and yeah. put this out twice a week. So. And I'm really bad at math, so thank you for like. <laughs> yeah, I like I like you guys in this podcast enough that I've been working on spreadsheets, and I don't know if I can really like. I don't know if I got anything else. That's the biggest compliment I can pay all of you. So thank you so much. And hey, if you have questions, oh hey, you know what? We have a listener question. We got to do real quick. Do we? Yeah, from the one from Brett. Okay. Um. Yeah, we got a listener question, and if you have questions, we'll read it on here, just like you. Uh, this like we're about to do for Brett. So Brett Johnson, Brett Johnson, who is a mutual friend of both of ours, he said that he missed the CBC shared ML and he didn't have time to go back for it, but he has a question and a comment, which are below. All right, first creature comfort question for Justin. Creature comfort question. I don't think it's too big of a stretch to say that people who have never been to Creature Comforts only know Tropicalia, which is delicious. But I'm guessing there's more to just to CC than just one trip to Pleasure Town. Well said. <laughs> what else should the uninitiated know about the CC repertoire? Well, Brett Johnson, I will tell you all about it. So Tropicalia is a wonderful and delicious IPA. Those of you that are of legal drinking age, you're well and welcome to come in, and I'd be happy to buy your first beer. Yep, just just name drop. Just Jumbo name drop. Offer. Standing offer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the other things going on at Creature Comforts. Right now, we're releasing on Friday, we're releasing uh, a beer from our innovation series, which is our very small batch brewery only series called The Silent World. It's a black lager. So it's nice and uh, roasty, chocolatey, fantastic lager. Um, so you're going to have all those like crisp, refreshing, dry flavors and, and qualities you get out of a lager. But then you're going to get um, all that nice chocolatey roastiness you would get from like a porter or a stout. 
So big, bold body, and it's a super good beer. And then actually at the end of this month, we are releasing a collaboration we're doing with the hip-hop group Run the Jewels. Um, I love Run the Jewels. I love Run the Jewels so much. Uh, it's kind of one of those requirements for you to work in a brewery. You have to have a beard, glasses, wear a hat most of the time, and love Run the Jewels. But yeah, we're doing a, a mm-hmm. Run the Jewels collaboration called Stay Gold. It's an IPA. Uh, and they're going to be in Atlanta on the 26th doing a concert. And then we are releasing it the 27th. And so those are a few things you could look forward to. Uh, those of you that may be beer, beer drinkers as well and you enjoy uh, your creature comforts of life. As long as you're of age. Of drinking. Yeah, legal drinking age. Uh, but yeah, we have fantastic beers that we release at the brewery alone all of the time that are super incredible. Uh, Nathan actually had a crescendo earlier which was uh, an ipa we released last month that sold out in a week we still have that on draft so come check it out and i think brett johnson's been to the brewery but i could be wrong i feel like you probably have brett so he's also got he's also got a comment which i want to respond to Mm -hmm. nathan if what doesn't kill you makes you stronger like emperor palpatine then you'd be unabashedly do your training get hyped montage to kelly clarkson because that's the kind of dichotomy you are (laughs) okay that's true but like i've always considered myself more of a beyonce person this has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcurve.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. Basically, we're the only people with this name, and by God, don't you dare take it. Also, go check out our new website, chapelbellcurve.com, which isn't that new, but is ably and beautifully run by Ian Trapp. You will see um, all sorts of new content. We've been doing initial thoughts posts. We've been doing stats posts. We've been doing Instagram. We've been doing Twitter, whatever. You'll see it all there. Um, And you can also catch out our episodes. And yeah, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating or review and we'll read it on air and it'll make us feel better and it'll make you feel better and everyone will feel better. It really helps us out and, you know, it makes it improves the old ego. But uh, it also really helps us with uh, just, you know, how far out we can get, how many reviews and numbers we can get. It really helps. And yeah, until then, we'll catch you in the, well, not the Classic City. We'll catch you in Jacksonville next week and we'll catch you you in the Classic City until then. And until we see you again, go go dogs. dogs.